Well, it's great to see you. We're so glad you're here. Turning your Bibles to Exodus 16. We're continuing, of course, our study of this great book. We're seeing God's deliverance of his people, people Israel from bondage. And we've seen the people come out of Egypt after over 400 years. They're on their way to the promised land. They're going to go, uh, you know, first to Mount Sinai and then on to the promised land. This is the one that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they, they go to Mount Sinai, two million people in the wilderness. How are they going to make it? We see that uh, God provides for them day after day. He gives them meat in the morning. That was some birds. And that, excuse me, meat in the evening. That was birds and then bread in the morning. That's the manna. And God provides. And this evening, as we see, God gives some instructions concerning the manna. This is the bread that he provided morning by morning. And last time we saw instructions concerning manna and the Sabbath day. But this evening, we're going to see his instructions concerning manna and the memorial. And we'll see how that ties together. He did not want them to forget what he has done for them. It's a pretty amazing thing. Uh, you know, we, we realize that there's all these people, two million people in the middle of a desert, and he gives them food and water and bread and birds and every day. It's just amazing. And we never forget what God has done for us, how he's provided. Not only has given us salvation, eternal life as a gift, but he also provides for us day after day. So there's so much. We'll see it as we go through our passage tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for... Um, tonight, thank you for the fact that you provide and protect. Lord, we don't want to forget what you've done for us. We thank you for sending Jesus and the, the Lord's Supper in which we think about the death and resurrection and the body and the blood. And So, Lord, just thank you for that memorial. And as we look in this passage and we see what you did for Israel and how you wanted them to remember how you provided for them, uh, Lord, we thank you how you provide for us. We don't want to forget either. Thank you for uh, the, the Word of God, which is alive and powerful and perfect. Teach us now, Lord, as we study it. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are really special days in our lives. When you think about it, uh, days that sort of stand out, whether it's birthdays, anniversaries, or holidays. Think, think about some of this. Let me give you some of them. First of all, birthdays. For each one of us, that's the day that God brought us into the world. And it marks off something special for us because we think, you know, that's, that's when God... Uh, brought me in and, and allows me to live on this earth. We think about anniversaries, and some anniversaries, like a wedding anniversary, the day we got married, that, that's a great day. Or we think about maybe a job. I mean, I, every year on, on, uh, on July 10th, I would think about the year I, at the time I came. I came on July 10th, 1985. It's been 26 years. I, I, can't, I still can't believe it. I, 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 I love it, and so it, it means a lot to me. You know, we think about holidays, and of course, you know, we think about holidays like the 4th of July and Christmas and New Year's and all of that, and Easter, we got that there as we think about the resurrection. Christmas, the birth of our Savior, Easter is the resurrection. There's a couple more. I, I didn't put them all on that, but think about this one. There's one that from my generation... It's just hard. If you didn't live through this, it's hard for you to imagine that our men went to fight and the country made fun of them. And the country didn't want them there. And when they came back, instead of being accepted like our soldiers are accepted today, they were actually made fun of. And I remember when they put the Vietnam uh, Wall Memorial. It, it helped a lot, I thought. And then we think, of course, the Lord's Supper. God has given to us so that we remember the death and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, the body and the blood. Jesus said, do this and remember some me. God wants us to remember. So this evening, as we continue our study of the book of Exodus, we see a memorial for the nation of Israel. He does not want them to forget that he provides over and over and over. God wanted them to remember how he took care of them for years and years and years, the manna. 
And this evening we see instructions. I call it manna in the memorial. Well, let's begin. We're seeing, of course, the nation in the wilderness. God has taken them to Mount Sinai. They're going to get the law. Moses will go up, as you know, he'll go up and he'll get the Ten Commandments and come back down. And before he gets down, they've already broken them. So when he gets down, he breaks them, throws them on the ground. Then God sends him back up and he comes back down eventually with 613 commandments, set the nation apart, made them a holy and a different people. As they go toward Mount Sinai, and this is where we are, uh, they've got two million people in the desert. But how are they going to make it? How are they going to have food and water? We saw last time that they would meet in the evenings. He sent birds, and then in the morning there was this bread. And they had to trust God every day. There were two key things in our study. First of all, last time we saw verses 22 through 30, manna and the Sabbath, because that was really important. He gave instructions about the special days for the Jews, what they were supposed to do, work six, rest on the seventh. Now tonight, as we look at our little section, and there's really a lot here, but uh, we'll see 31 through 36, I call it manna and the memorial. And, And as we begin... Let's think about what we saw concerning the Sabbath today because I think it's important. There are a lot of people confused. God gave instructions to them about the Sabbath. He gave specific commands a little bit later when they got to Mount Sinai. But they were to work six days. Uh, work six days and rest on the seventh. The seventh day was Sabbath. The word Sabbath means rest. And that's what they were supposed to do six days. They were to gather manna. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much because on the seventh day they wouldn't go out and gather it. In fact, there was none there. So they had to trust God. And trust that he would provide. And what was so amazing is when you gathered manna on a particular day, if you didn't eat all of it and you were supposed to eat all of it, if you didn't eat all of it, it would ruin bugs and worms and it would be, it would be terrible. But on the sixth day, he said, gather twice as much. And you could say, well, if I gather twice as much, every time I ever gathered any and I didn't eat it all, it ruined. So if I gather twice as much and I eat enough for today, how do we know tomorrow's will still be okay tomorrow? Well, they get up the next day. And there it was. It was fine. And so God is providing. They had to trust him every day. Now, in summary, concerning the Sabbath, we'd say it this way. It was a day given to the Jewish people for rest and worship. Two questions always come up, and we talked about these last week. Are we to come under the Sabbath, and are we to see Sunday as the Christians' Sabbath? That's the two questions. Well, let's think about the Sabbath for just a second. Are we to come under the Sabbath? No, we're not under the Mosaic Law. It was given to the Jewish people. We're the church. We're not Israel. We've never been under the law, so we've never been under the Sabbath deal. The Ten Commandments, in which the Sabbath is mentioned, nine of those Ten Commandments are restated in the New Testament. The only one not restated is the Sabbath day. So we're not under the Sabbath day. The second, what about Christian Sabbath? Is is Sunday really supposed to be like a Christian Sabbath? Well, the truth is it's called the Lord's Day. It's not called a Sabbath day. It's called the Lord's Day. We worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. It's not a... It's not a day set apart with laws and rules and regulations. Now, we've seen throughout the history of the Christian church that some, sometimes the Sabbath was misunderstood. I mean, the, uh, the, the uh, Lord's Day was called the Sabbath and was misunderstood. And, and there were a lot of people who did that. We're not supposed to do that. We realized that our Lord's Day is a day to worship, a day that we can come together with other believers. We can have a great time. We can sing. We can pray. We can give. We can study. We can do all kinds of things. When we get through gathering, we can go do something else. Uh, it's, it's not a legalistic bondage day. It's a day of worship and, and great freedom. We realize that as those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we worship on the first day of the week. But... As we look at this passage, he's, he's talking to them about manna. And he doesn't want them to forget what he's doing. And I'm calling it manna and the memorial. Let me remind you, look at verse 26. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now he told them, every day you go out, every morning you go out for six days. And it'll be there. But on the last day, 
when you go out. There won't be anything there, so don't go out looking for it. In fact, on the day before, you have to get twice as much. The 29th, uh, the verse, verse 29 says, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his house, in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. We talked about this last week. That rest day, that Sabbath day for them, was a great day. It was supposed to be great. It was, they, they worked hard. They, they lived, they worked, and then there was a day in which they didn't have to really do anything. We all look forward to a day when you say, you don't have to do anything. Like it's my day off. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. I can do whatever I want to do. That's really sort of what the Sabbath was all about. Now, God did not want them to forget what he had done for them. And God does not want us to forget what he has done for us. He wanted them to know. He wanted the future generations to know. So look at verse 31. The house of Israel named it manna. And it was like corinder seed, white, and its taste was like wafers with honey. Now, if you try to describe manna, you can't describe it. The Bible didn't describe it. Notice back, uh, I can't, uh, verse 14 of 16. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness, there was a fine flake-like thing. That's how the Bible describes it, a fine flake-like thing. So if we said, what did this manna look like? And we try to describe it, we could say, I don't know. It, it seemed to be white, and it, and it tastes like maybe little wafers, honey. You know, does that sound like it might taste good to you? It does to me. I think we'd go, hmm, that's pretty good stuff. That, that's good stuff. Try eating that for 40 years. What do you got today, manna? What do we got tomorrow, manna? What do we got for lunch? Manna. Is there anything else? No, there's manna. That's it. You know, and we talked about what the word manna means. What, what does it mean? It means, what is it? Manna. 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 I mean, you can imagine going out and going, manna. What is it? What is it? What is it? And so they said, pick up some of the what is it. We're just going to call it, what is it? So the house of Israel named it manna. And it was like horrendous seed, white. And its taste was like wafers with honey. That sounds really good. Look back at verse 15. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It's the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So there it is. Now, look at... And, and, and uh, they said, What is it? And it's described as sort of white wafer with a taste like honey. Maybe it's like white flaky bread. I, I don't know. I mean, there's no way to know. Maybe it was like... Little flat pieces of bread or something, you know, just, and you pick it up and maybe it's real fine. And, but they, they, they cooked it. Listen, there's a place, uh, I was reading in two different Bibles, so I'm not sure I can even find exactly, but he said, oh, it's, the Lord said, tomorrow's the Sabbath, deserve it. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And that which is left or put it aside to be kept until morning. So you, you baked it? You boiled it? Maybe you could probably just picked it up and ate it too. I don't know, right? Anyway, you, you some days you came in and said, what we got? We got baked manna. Good, good. What do we got? We got boiled manna. Good. What do we got? Raw manna. What do we got? What do we got? It's going to be manna. But it's a provision. And you know what? I'll bet you that it was a taste you don't get tired of. Because they ate it a long time. Watch what he goes on to say. 
Then Moses said this. <clears throat> Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now Moses said, this is what God has commanded. This is what the Lord has commanded. These are instructions from the Lord. An omer full, which is a full omer. Okay, An omer was what they would eat every day, right? People would go out and they would gather as much as they could eat for each person. They didn't have, it wasn't too little. You said gather as much in each, each person. Uh, they gathered an omer for each person. So they're gathering enough that one person would eat it. And they said, gather it and let it be kept for all your generations that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, put it this way. The manna was to be kept so the people to come would, would be able to see and to know about it. Now, let me ask you the first question that, I, that you think. We're going to go out and gather some, and we're going to put it in a jar. Now, what normally happens to it on the next day? It's going to be rotten. Well, sometimes it lasts two days. This is going to last for all generations. So God's going to have to do what? He's going to do something miraculous with it again. Instead of it disappearing and rotting, it's going to be there. It's going to be in that jar. So he said, the Lord said, get an omar full of it. Be kept for all your generations. Let it make the bread, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So the people would know. Now what did they do? Verse 33. Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it. Place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Now here's some, some tough questions that I've got for, for all of us in this passage. First of all, he says, take a jar. Now we're going to find out that it was a golden jar. Now it may not have been a golden jar this time, but later on it's going to be in a golden jar. We'll tell you how we know in just a minute. But here's the second question. Moses said, take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it. Place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. What do you mean before the Lord? Where's the Lord? Where is He? What's His presence? I mean, during the best we can tell during the day is a what? A cloud and at night it's a fire. What? Right, where are you going to put the jar? In front of what? I, the cloud? The crowd? I don't know. I mean, where are you going to put this jar? He says, listen to what it says. Place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. Where are you going to put it? They do, but we don't have any Ark of the Covenant now, right? So where are we going to put it? I mean, they didn't say anything about it, so I have no idea. Maybe, maybe they did something. Maybe they said, okay, here's the jar. But here's my question. Where's the presence of the Lord? It's a cloud, isn't it? And, uh, right, you gonna, and fire, but what are you going to do? Go up to the fire in the cloud and set this down? I mean, what are you going to do? It doesn't even explain it, right? Have you ever read that and thought about what that says? I don't know. He did not want them to forget. So he said, now, we're going to know later on that the presence of the Lord, where, how does God make his presence known later on? Because he stops appearing as a cloud and fire. Huh? Well, it doesn't amount, but well, later on. Well, in, first of all, in the tabernacle in the ark. Because you remember they build a little tabernacle. They build a tent 
and it has two places in it and two two sections and they build an ark and we're going to talk about the ark in just a little bit but the ark remember after they built the ark the presence of the lord he said i will meet with you between the cherubim so god's presence would would come at the ark that's why it's so special but they don't have any of that now so my question is if we're all standing there and he says this we look at each other and go where are we supposed to put it right where are we supposed to put it it says before the lord I don't know. Maybe, maybe there was some way they would know that they, they just, maybe they put it on something and, and, and then when the cloud would move, they'd pick it up and they would go. I, I don't know. It just doesn't say. But it says to do this. God wants them to not forget what He did for them day after day. God wants us to remember what He has done. Now think about it. He's done something for us. He's given us something to do so we don't forget it. It's called the Lord's Supper. That's what it is. It's a memorial that we do over and over again so we'll remember what God has done for us. The Lord's Supper is the memorial. It points us to Christ. It keeps before us what He has done for us. What were Jesus' words when He said about the Lord's Supper? This do in remembrance of Me. I want you to remember Me. I want you to remember what I have done. In the Lord's Supper, we've talked about this a lot of times. There's two aspects. There's the bread and the juice. The bread, of course, represents the body and the juice represents the blood. You think about the body of Christ. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. When we take the bread, we're remembering, basically, Christmas. Because the, the bread represents the what? The body. And the Word became flesh. I always talk, tell people this quote of a trick question. I'll say... Uh, is there a birth story of Jesus in Matthew? And they go, yes. It's not really a sort of a birth story. And then you say, how about Mark? And they go, mm, no, there's not. And you say, how about Luke? And they go, oh yeah, Luke's got it. And you say, John. And they go, no. And I say, what about 114? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the birth of Christ right there in John 114. So there is, when we think of the body, we think of the birth of Christ, we think of Jesus becoming a person who he could die for us. The second part, of course, is the blood. First Peter 1.18, we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're actually reminded again and again and again that Jesus is the Son of God who became a human being so he could die on the cross, pay for our sins, and shed his blood. And that's the greatest truth. And by faith in Him, we have eternal life. We never forget. That's why He gave us the Lord's Supper. And so, for the Jewish people, He said, I want you to remember that I fed you every day. Get some manna, put it in a jar, so people can see it and say, that's what God gave us every day. And then when we come together, sometimes on Sunday morning, sometimes on Sunday night, and we have the Lord's Supper, we're all saying, that reminds us of how Jesus became a person and died for us and shed His blood. So God tells the Jews, take some manna, put it in a jar, so the generations would come. Look what happened, verse 34. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before... Now look, the testimony to be kept. What's the testimony? What's the testimony? You may know. Well, later on, the testimony was basically the tabernacle and the ark and all of that stuff. But we don't have any of that right now. And it could be that this is a an overall statement saying, as the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And meaning that they had it, and then when they built the ark later on, because Moses and Aaron were all there, and then they placed it before the testimony there. Who knows? But I, it does not explain anything about what the testimony is. Yeah, but it it says that he placed it before the testimony. I don't know what that is. I mean, it doesn't tell us. So, 
we know they kept it with them. And, and then let, let's talk about something. They, they go to Mount Sinai, right? And, we, you know, we're probably, let, let's just be honest, by the time we get to uh, Exodus 18, 19, and, and that, we're going we're gonna to stop eventually. We're gonna, when we get to Mount Sinai, we're going to stop. Because I'm not sure that all of us want to go through all the law, right? And then on into Leviticus, right? I mean, I don't think so. So what we'll do is we'll get to Mount Sinai and we'll stop. But when they get to Mount Sinai, they do a lot of things. Anybody remember about how long they stayed at Mount Sinai? About a year. About a year, which seems so strange. You you have this idea that they, they traveled around and got there fast, but uh, it, they were there about a year. And in the law that he gave them, he gave them directions on building a tabernacle. Now, what does the word tabernacle mean? Hmm? It, 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 do, it does. It literally means a temporary dwelling place. And so a tabernacle was like, would be, in their minds, might be a tent because it's not a, it's not a house. It's something that can be moved around. So they called it the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a place that God would meet with his people. And let's think about it. It was the place of worship in God's direction. Let me remind you about the tabernacle for just a second. Uh, it, uh, it, if you were in the, the desert with them, there would be this uh, big, old, big old like wall which was, had wooden, wooden parts to it and then curtains around it all the way around. And if you went in through that gate inside this big old wall, you would see a tent. Now, there would be some things out front, but there's a tent. And in the tent is some special things. And this is where God makes his presence known around the people. And when the people camp, once they build this tabernacle, the people camp. And there's certain people who live on this side, on the north side, on the west side, and on the south side. They all have their different ways. And the priest and everybody, and when they get ready to move, that when that cloud goes up during the day, they pack the tabernacle up. They take down the walls. They take down the tent. They take down everything. And they carry it. And then when the cloud stops, they set everything up. That's what they did for 40 years. Now let's think about it. There are two parts to the tabernacle. There's what they call the holy place, and there's a place called the holy of holies. And I should have. I didn't even think about it. I would have just got a, got a drawing for you to, to show you. Most of you have seen it. Now, if you, if you, first of all, when you came in, let's just think about it. You come into the big gate and as you come in that big gate, you see the tent. But between you and the tent is this big altar. It's huge. And they sacrifice animals on there all the time. In fact, there's steps going up to it. The priest would walk up the steps. And you know, it told, you know what? Let me listen. You look, the Bible is so specific. It said, when the priest have to be real careful when they go up the steps so nobody looks up there. That's what it said. I said, wear certain clothes so that nobody can see you when you walk up the top of the altar. Now, we see the big altar. We go around the altar, and there's this big laver that has water in it, in the bottom and the top. Somehow they had it designed that way. The priest will wash their hands and their feet. And then we come to the tent. And if we could, and we are, if we were Levites, we, we might could, if you could come in that front room. And as you walked in that front room, right there, it's a big old lampstand made out of solid gold. And it stays lit all the time. And then you look to this other side. And and by the way, uh, that place is about as big as this room. And when you walk in, and over there is the lampstand. And over here is a table. And it's a table that's about like this big. And on it is 12 loaves of bread. 
and not loaves of bread like you see in the in the grocery store, but probably flat loaves of bread, each one representing the tribes of Israel, how God provides. And then if you walk to the back of this room, there's a there's a, there's another big curtain there. And there's a little altar that's about this tall and about this big square going down and smoke is going up all the time. It has incense coming up out of it and it's got coals burning. And then there's the curtain right there. And you can't go back there. If you're a priest, sometimes sometimes in your life you got to go in and make sure this was burning. Sometimes in your life you got to go in and take 12 new loaves of bread, take out the 12 old loaves, put the new loaves in. Sometimes, if you were lucky, you got to burn the incense and keep that burning. But you never went to the back room because only the high priest could go in the back room and he could only go once a year on the day of atonement. Now, if we could go in that back room because you have to take these coals and, and you take that incense and you put it in that back room so that the back room is filled with smoke. Now, here's the question that I have. How do you see in this front room? The candlestick. How do you see in the back room? The glory, I guess the, the Shekinah glory of God is the only thing you could see that could light up that room. Nothing else in there. So if you could go in that back room, there's the Ark of the Covenant. And on the, there's this box. If you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what it looked like. And there's this box, and it's made out of gold and wood. It's a wooden box covered over with gold, and there's some things down in it. And then there's a golden lid that sits on it, probably heavy, and it sits on top of it. It's called the mercy seat. And they've got two cherubim facing each other with their wings like this. And the priest, when he would go into the Day of Atonement, he would pour blood in between the two cherubim on top of the mercy seat. But what's in the box? And I think it was always amazing because if you if you went to the Moabites and to those people groups around them, they would be Molech and they would be Dagon. And if you went to the Philistines and you said, Dagon, what does he look like? And they'd say, well, he's half man, half fish. Huh. There's a thing standing up like this and he had a fish bottom and a, and a person top and he had hands and, and a head and, uh, and that's what their God was like. Now, the Jewish people, if the Philistines said to the Jewish people, show us what your God is like, they'd say, uh, we, don't, we don't have anything. They'd say, what's in the box? They'd say, well, nothing really is in the box. Nothing's in the box. Where's your God look like? Well, he doesn't look like anything because we, we don't see a presence of God. Why did God say to the Jewish people, I will not show you my presence? No, but, well, he, he did appear to them. Now, it, it is true that no man can truly see God and die. There were times God manifested himself in such a way that he let them live and see him because Moses talked to him. Why is it that when God appeared to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai and it was smoky and cloudy and everything, he told them later, when I came, I did not show you my presence at all. Why? So they would do what? Exactly. Because what they would have done is say, well, that's what God looks like, so let's make some little gods. Carry them around with us. That's what people do. Now, what was in the... Oh, okay, we better go go to the next slide. Yeah, the holy place had the ark, the wooden box covered in gold with angels on the lid. What's in the box? Hebrews 9, 4, listen to this. The ark of the covenant was covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding the manna, Aaron's rod which budded, and the tablets of 
the covenant. In the box was the jar with the manna, was Aaron's rod that budded. We'll talk about that in a second. And basically when it says the tablets of the law, they were the broken tablets of the law. Now why was that in there? The three things. The golden jar with manna, Aaron's rod, tablets of law. They all pictured, let me just say this, they all were a picture of God's provision. That God provided the manna, which was the food. God provided the rod, the leadership, which is Moses and Aaron and himself. And then God provided the law, that was his instructions. But they also were all three pictures of man's rebellion. Man grumbled and complained over manna. Man grumbled and complained over the leadership of Moses and Aaron and Korah's rebellion. And then last, man broke God's law. And I think, I don't know if the, we, I don't know if you can see it. On one side is God's provisions, the other side is man's rebellion. On one side is manna, that's God's provision. On the other side, man complained and grumbled. On one side is the rod, God's leadership. On the other side is man's rebellion and Korah's rebellion. And the third thing is the law, which was God's instructions, but man's rebellion is man broke it. It's broken. That's why it was broken pieces of law. Now, at the same time, that inside that ark, there was God's provision and man's rebellion. Everything about the ark is really a picture of Jesus Christ, right? Everything. Think about it. Everything dealing with the tabernacle was a picture of Christ. That light burning as Jesus is the light of the world. That bread, Jesus is the bread of life. That altar of incense, he's the prayer going up. The ark of the covenant, the, the wood and the gold is Jesus Christ who's God and man. And the golden lid is Jesus Christ as the Savior. And, and even the things that are in the ark, think about it. I don't know if I have, I think I have a slide. What's the next slide? Yeah, Jesus Christ. He's the manna because what? He's the provision. He's the Savior. He's the rod. He's the leader. He's the King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the law. He's the living word. And so over and over again, Jesus is the provider. Jesus is the picture. He's the leader. He is the word of God. So even the things in the ark were pictures of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, look what happened. Here's sort of a summary statement. The sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to, the, to an inhabited land, they ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Do you realize that it'll say, in fact, I've got it right here. This is Joshua, I think it's the verse, Joshua 5.12. Listen, and the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. When they crossed into the promised land, crossed over the, the Jordan River and crossed in the promised land, and they ate from the fruit of the promised land, he no longer gave them manna. He basically said, okay, now you, now you got it. You got it yourself. And it ends by saying, now, an omer is a tenth of an ephah. I think an ephah is about two liters. Best they can figure out. So what have we seen? That manna was this white flaky stuff. <laughs> Sweet bread from heaven. The plan was a memorial so they wouldn't forget. They were to keep it before the Lord to remember. They later placed it in the ark with the law and with the rod. And God provided for the nation for 40 years in the wilderness. So let me give you some applications. First of all, let's not forget what God has done for us. Had the Jews, he gave the manna. We're not forget he's done for us. What has he done for us? Salvation. God loved the world. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew one twenty one. This is why I love the Christmas story, because in Matthew one twenty one, the angel tells Gabriel, you shall call his name Jesus, because he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Savior. He has given us a memorial. I think it's the next slide. That's the Lord's Supper. 
And we see the bread and the juice, the body and the blood, Jesus Christ becoming a person. And you know we've been seeing this in the Gospel of John. This shouldn't even, this, your mind should be saying, Gospel of John. Why? Because he is the bread from heaven. Listen to this. John six thirty through 41 Jesus tells them he's the bread of heaven. In John six thirty one, it says, our, they were saying to Jesus, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus just said them. He said, listen, the real bread is not the manna. That's what Moses gave. The real bread is the bread of heaven, Jesus Christ. And then he says, They therefore said to him, Lord, give us this bread. And he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is our bread. We never want to forget what he has done for us. Boy, isn't that, isn't that a beautiful thing? We never want to forget how he's provided for us. That's when we have the Lord's Supper. Second thing is just rest in God's provision. Think about the three things. The ark was a picture of Jesus Christ with the manna, the rod, and the law. Think about it. The manna was his provision of salvation. He's the bread from heaven. The rod is his leadership as the king of kings and the lord of lords. And the law is the word. He is the living word of God. So, so much is there. And as we live by the word, may we rest in our Savior, looking for the return as the King of kings and Lord of lords. We don't want to forget what God has done for us, providing the Savior. Now, what are we gonna, how, are we, how are we going to remember it? Do what? Lord's Supper. He said, do this in remembrance of me. We're going to do it until he's with us. And then we don't have to do it anymore. Because he's with us be there. Let me pray. If you got questions or comments, we'll deal with them. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord. When we think about what you did for the nation of Israel, you told them to, to store some manna, put it before the presence of the Lord in some way, and so that they would not forget, and that the generations to come would know what you did, how you provided for them day after day after day for 40 years until they came into the inhabited land, the land of Canaan. Lord, we think about what you've done for us. And we don't want people to forget. In fact, what we've got to do is tell the generations to come, our families, our children, our children's children, tell the generations to come what Jesus Christ did, how he died and rose again, how he gives eternal life, how he is the bread from heaven, how he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, how he is the living word of God. Lord, we want to do that. We never want to forget. And one of the greatest ways is what you've given us, the Lord's Supper. May we never forget what Jesus has done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions, comments, anything tonight? Yeah. Well, there's no doubt... Okay, there's a, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, there's no doubt in their minds that it's, their culture wasn't like ours where we'll go to the store... And we'll buy a week's worth of groceries. And we'll put it in the refrigerator and we'll eat. And then a week later we'll say, let's go get something else. They didn't do that. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have that way. So a person would work. And at the end of the day, as he came home from work, either either he would buy food then or he had given his wife the, the, the money that he made the night before and she during the day would go out and buy the food for them to eat that night. And so he would come in after working all day and he would say, here's the money. They would eat and she would take that money the next day and go buy food. And so daily bread for them was 
daily because they, they just didn't store it up. They didn't have a way to do that. And most of the time when a person worked, they worked a day and they got paid a day's wages. They'd take the day's wages and go buy what they needed. And it wasn't like we do. Now, that ties back to this because in the wilderness, for sure, you, you can't store anything. Wasn't, first of all, there wasn't anything to store. They didn't have anything. In the wilderness, there wasn't any food. So Jesus, every day, gave them daily bread. And I think you're exactly right. I think when he said, give us this day our daily bread, their minds not only would think about their, their existence every day of needing to get stuff, but also probably thinking back to there. That's why when Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Our fathers gave us bread from heaven. He said, no, no, no. Moses didn't give you the true bread from heaven. The heavenly Father is giving the true bread from heaven. That's me. I am your daily bread. I'm the bread that gives life. That's so perfect. Yeah, good. Well, all we know is this, that Hebrews tells us in the Ark of the Covenant were those three things. Now, we know that, let's just face it, who could go look at that? Nobody. So they had to just trust that it was in there, right? Right. It's best we can tell. There's all kind of traditions. People say that uh, that when that when the captivity came under the Babylonians and the ark and everything was taken, the, the, one, one view is the ark was taken away. And that when they came back from captivity, they made another ark. Tradition also says they didn't make another ark. They made a big stone and they kept a stone in the temple and poured out the blood on a big stone. That's a tradition. Other traditions say that because of the captivity coming, that they hid the ark. The other tradition says when the Romans came and they were destroying Jerusalem, they hid the ark. And, of course, I think Indiana Jones found it. But, uh, you know, who knows? And then there are people who say, where is it? that uh, There are people who say that the ark is in Ethiopia, even now. And so where it is, nobody really knows. And can anybody go see that ark? They can't. They won't let anybody see it. There's something there. I mean, they believe something's there. Whether it's the Ark of the Covenant or not, in Ethiopia, in that particular church, that particular place, they believe that the Ark of the Covenant is there. They do. You know, the truth is this. People say, boy, wouldn't it be great to find Noah's Ark? Wouldn't it be great to find the Ark of the Covenant? Wouldn't it be great to get... You know, I'd say, well, I'm afraid that if we found something like that, then we'd worship that, you know? So I think you have to be careful. Remember when they put the, the serpent up on the stake, on the stick? They kept that for a long time. Who was it that destroyed it? Was it Hezekiah? Hezekiah actually, it, how many years later, Hezekiah has to finally destroy it because the people are worshiping it. He goes, it's just a serpent on a stick. You know, so, Yes. Exactly. Yeah. We know that there were people on the north, the south, the east, and the west. There were. Yeah. 
That would be beautiful. By the way, and here's something a lot of people don't realize. The tabernacle that they made on the earth was patterned after a tabernacle in heaven. There is a tabernacle in heaven. It was Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us he took his blood as the great high priest poured it out in the tabernacle in heaven. And, and so there is one in heaven that Moses was given the pattern. That's how they made the one on the earth. So it's pretty, pretty impressive. Yes. That's what I picture. I, I didn't know. Here's two things. Either God in some miraculous way, every year after they pour the blood over it, God in a miraculous way, in a sense, sort of cleans it up, or the ark, the, the mercy seat, has always got covered dried blood all over it that's just there. Yeah. Which I think so, too. Yeah. I think when um, they stole it in Indiana Jones, I think they cleaned it up. And that's why it looks so shiny in the movie. Yeah. Do what? Don't open the lid. Well, the truth is, if you read in the Old Testament, when that group of people looked into the Ark of the Covenant, the Jewish people, looked, the, the Philistines looked in the Ark of the Covenant, it didn't mean anything to them. It didn't hurt them a bit. Because they didn't know any better. But when the Jewish people looked in it, 70,000 died. Uh, so the best thing to do is not look in it. If you if you know you're not supposed to look in it, you know that's that's kind of the deal. Really, the only people who were supposed to touch it were the priests. They carried it in a certain way with the poles, and they were covered over, and they were supposed to carry it on their shoulders. And of course, they did it the wrong way. And God, in a sense, gave them grace. You know, putting it on that putting it on that wagon, every one of those people could have died putting it on that wagon, and they didn't. And the question might be, and we all ask it, why did us die by touching it when? Up to that point, other people bound to have touched it, and nobody died. I don't, I don't know. It stopped the whole procession, though, didn't it? They said, oh, but even you were going to keep it at your house. And he went, thanks a lot, you know. And, but it said he was greatly blessed. Yeah. Okay, anything else? Oh. Achoo. Okay, I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great morning, a great night. Thanks for our study. Thanks for our, our, our church. Oh, I just love our people, Lord. Thank you that we get to be together and we get to study and we get to do all kinds of things. Thank you, Lord, for these pictures of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we study the Bible, everything in some way points to our Savior. Thank you that everything centers around the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, the Son of God, the Rock, the Beginning, the End, the Alpha, the Omega, the one who gives life to all who believe. Thank you for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.